Welcome to Trends and Tensions, presented by BHDP, where we discuss trends in architectural and interior design and the competing priorities or tensions that arise from integrating new ideas into existing organizations, enterprises, and institutions. This episode is part one of a two-part series with Messer Construction on the topic of site selection. Part one focuses primarily on why it's important to bring experts to the table before you decide where you want to build. If you enjoy what you hear, we encourage you to rate, subscribe, and give us a review. I'm your host, Brian Trainer, a workplace strategist for BHDP. I'll let my guests introduce themselves. Tom Balonic with Messer Construction. And what do you do for Messer Construction? So I'm the industrial director for the company. And also we have Michael. Yes, thank you, Brian. I'm Michael Verdeer. I'm the vice president of our uh, industrial manufacturing design market at BHDP. Fantastic. So I'm Brian Trainer. I'm workplace strategist for BHDP. So um, Tom, you wrote an article on titled "Why Convening Experts Earlier Will Save Money in the Construction Project." So that's what we're here to talk about today. That article. And Michael, you're here because of your expertise in integrated industrial design. I want to start there before we pick on Tom a little bit. What is IID? You know, based on 30 years of experience, I got involved in uh, a lot of projects with a lot of customers, and they like to start with design. And I think it's important to step back from that and really understand a little bit more about the longer vision for a facility, understanding the people, the processes, the equipment, so that as we're designing something for them, you know, an expansion or a greenfield site, we're, we're more forward thinking. We're thinking with more the end in mind. And that's why we call it integrated. We're just not designing for today's project. We're looking for today's project, but where is this business going to grow in the future as well? So does that tie, Tom, into your article about what you wrote? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it's important to keep in mind there's a lot of forces at work when you're when you're planning a project. You know, in the beginning, there's a business need. Yeah. You sit around the table and there's a business need. And what flows out of that business need is is everything else. Where you need to be, how much space do you need, what kind of talent are you <clears throat> trying to attract? There's a whole lot of things that flow out of that. And what's important is that you put the experts at the table throughout the whole process so that you can harvest everything they know along the way. Yeah. Whether that's the design team, like Michael's team, or your attorneys as you're negotiating real estate contracts, whether that's the site selection folks who are looking at, hey, can we attract the talent that we want in that particular city? Mm-hmm. Uh, is, the, is the building gonna be close enough to rail or an airport? Down to what is this gonna cost? How long is it gonna take to build? So getting those folks involved early in the process is what's most important if you want a successful outcome. You know, Michael, I'm sure, has his own war stories. A mm. client calls you up, you, you go out to a site, you, they say, hey, we, we bought the building. And you start looking around and they're going, hey, we're, this is what we're going to do with it. And then we'll, we'll have an architect here next week to start figuring out how to, <laughs> how to fit it into our needs. And you know, that's very backward, but that happens a lot. And it's not just with an existing building. It's oftentimes with land or or lease space where they sign a lease and, and then they try to figure out how to fit it in their needs after the fact. So there's a big benefit to some front end information gathering, getting as, as many details as you can. As long as long term business plans in the current climate with like market competition and volatility, I've seen a lot of companies that they've gone from making 10 year plans to just going, if the one year plan works, we'll be happy. Is it harder to get clients to think that far in the future? It's a little bit volatile right now, but uh, I think it's really important for owners to establish 
that long-term business need or capacity need, you know, it's basically the master plan, look out three, five, ten years if possible. You know, that becomes the, the, guiding, the guiding light for decisions for the land search criteria. Talk about planning. I mean, planning is problem solving and, and uh, strategic is, is forward thinking, so strategic planning. It's important for them to establish a strategic plan uh, to look, look, look out. I mean, other, otherwise they're going to purchase a piece of land or a building that, that doesn't meet the long-term business need. So one of the things, when you talk about master planning and strategic planning, Tom's article, well, one, you say the game is lost or won in site selection. So we, why the site's a big deal. I want to talk more about that. Mm -hmm. But you've got a process here that says, number one, follow a logical process, right? right? And then two, form the right team. And then three, finish strong and finalize your site selection selection decisions. But that number one step, follow a logical process. What is that process? Where does it come from? How do you build a, yeah. one person's logic might not be the same to somebody else's. Well, and we were talking about that a minute ago about understanding the business need first. Yeah. And what is that business need in terms of space, in terms of manufacturing space perhaps, or whether that's the number of people that you plan to hire initially and how many you plan to hire down the road so that you have the built-in room to expand the office or expand the manufacturing. So it's understanding the business need first, okay. and then it's getting the experts involved. I always advocated for having the architect involved first because the, to me, they're the most skilled at sitting down and saying, help me understand what you need and being able to translate that from HR saying this is what we need to manufacturing to office staff in the C-suite to, okay, this is what that means in terms of space. And really what occurs after that is about risk reduction whether it's the site selection company, real estate folks, trying to reduce the risk that you're gonna make a significant investment and not be able to attract the talent that you need, or that there's gonna be issues with moving product wherever you decide to locate, or there's some tax climate that's a challenge for you. They're looking to reduce risk there. From a design standpoint, the design firm's looking to reduce risk that you don't get what you need in terms of office space, manufacturing space, that things don't flow properly, that there's inefficiencies. Mm -hmm. So those are, 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 are critically important. And then from our standpoint, from a, a construction manager, we're looking at reducing risk from a cost standpoint from a, a schedule standpoint, and you got to know the market conditions. And for somebody like us, you know, you look at the current market situation, there are situations where clients come to us and say, hey, we want to build a significant project, and we say, if we're going to do that, we need to have key subcontractors on board today, and we need to, to tie them up and get a commitment for them because the market is so busy that we may not get them later, and they are the type of sub that is necessary to deliver the project within your budget and within the time frame. You hire a design firm and a site selector first who's looking and understanding what your needs are, and then you start to move into hiring the other folks, your legal team who's gonna be helping you write a real estate contract and reviewing your contracts with your design team and your construction <coughs> partners along the way. Yeah, one of the things that caught me by surprise is uh, security, like uh, risk management. We had designed a project all the way up to CDs, and then somebody said, wait a minute, the risk manager just saw the plan and says you can't build any of this. <laughs> and they came in with a concern because of the neighborhood they were in, what would you do if there was an active shooter? Mm -hmm. Because this was the main lobby for a campus. 
And I was like, I'd never thought of that before today. You know, tell me why it's important and what we can do. And once that person was in, we were able to keep going, but up until that point, it stopped it entirely. So that and person wasn't part of the planning team? From no, yep. they didn't come in until the design was done and we were ready to start yeah. that's tearing down walls. That's a, that's a perfect example. I mean, we, I've, I've seen a lot of projects fail because of that in the early planning stages. You know, we really encourage an owner to get a, a cross-section of the organization involved in the planning, those subject matter experts at that facility or at a corporate level to help us define the requirements for a new facility or an expansion, not just the programming, but what are some of those policy or standards that are required. We get down the road, design a great facility, and then somebody comes in at the very end and says, well, that's great, but it doesn't meet this criteria or that criteria. It's so important to have the planning team assembled at the very beginning and have a commitment that they're there for the journey of the project. So you don't have kind of these hiccups along the way where you have to step backwards. So is it, it's easy to think of the right people in the room when you have those first meeting from the, the client side, is you want your decision makers in the room, the people who would decide. But one of the things that I've learned is that it's also important to bring people like facilities managers for that company because they're the steward of the building. And if you design something they can't maintain, mm -hmm. then that's a different cost that maybe nobody thought about because they have that different lens of expertise, right? Oh yeah, they may have standardized on a particular brand of equipment. Yeah. Uh, in the case of manufacturing, you're oftentimes if you're lifting anything uh, large or, or, or heavy, you're looking at building or wrapping a, a building around a, a crane system and saying we need to lift product today this, this high off the ground and down the road we may need to lift it significantly higher. What are those parameters? Now we can start talking about after we know what the hook height requirements are and, the, and, and what capacity the crane needs to be, now we can start talking about how tall the building needs to be, yeah. not the other way around. And so there are those sort of things from an equipment standpoint that can drive the design of the building sure. significantly and how much power usage, wastewater that's being generated in the process, what have you, those things can have a significant impact. And, and yeah. if they have a proprietary system that they've been using, we oftentimes need those folks at the table. And I, I'll <laughs> tell you, some owners don't like to have a large planning team. They think it's going to slow things down. Right. There might be a little longer process in defining the requirements of the program, but it's definitely going to save you in the end from not having to do rework. So those are some of the team members that are right to bring to the table. Have you ever had resistance working with a client like, hey, listen, we think it'd be beneficial to bring these people in and they're like, no, no, thank you. Yeah. Have you ever had to, how have you negotiated some of that? Yeah, yeah, I mean, we've actually, we've had uh, customers come to us and, and they've actually already purchased land and they then they come, they came and said, hey, can you help us do the master plan for the site? And then we, we work with them defining the, the business plan, the capacity needs, the phasing strategy. And in the end, the, the long, you know, to meet their long-term goals, the site that they purchased wasn't large enough. And that, that's a big risk. I mean, Tom's talking about risk there. I mean, there's other risk by not doing the right due diligence. I mean, it's things like geotechnical investigations. Maybe there's so, uh, poor soils on the site and they bought the land already and, and now all of a sudden they've got to do soil remediation. Or By the way, it's an EPA Superfund site. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. you know. Uh, and there's owls that live on it and everything yeah, else. Yeah, there's protected, protected species, species and things like that. Can't and build under the power lines. Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's right-of-ways. Yeah, we've seen all that. You know, buy a piece of land 
and and there's uh, transmission lines going across part of it and they can't build near it uh, because of the right-of-ways. Curb Why? cuts, you can't get the curb cut you want in or out of the site. Yeah. You need to put a stoplight in. It's on a state route, so you have to wait for the state to approve any uh, improvements in the intersection. There could be line of sight issues for stopping and speed limits and yeah. things like that. Part of a water that. basin or something it, like that. Yeah. yeah, you could have wetlands on the site. There's, yeah. uh, you know, you may not have enough water pressure to sprinkle the building. There are a whole lot of things. Yeah, site, that, site development can really kill a project. To me, it's just common sense. Why not have all the experts up front together working collaboratively to deliver the best project and experience for an owner as possible? So, so I think uh, what I've seen is people fear that decision by committee, which is why they don't want to get too many people involved. Yep. Do you have a way to mitigate that through the, the early process when you're designing? Like, can you focus the conversation around we're not here making decisions, we're building requirements, or like what's the right, what's the right conversation to have? Well, I think you can share examples of where projects has fa have failed or have been delayed because they didn't have the right planning team up front or the uh, planning di team didn't stay for the duration. Uh, I think that's one way. The other is, you know, if there's resistance from an owner, they don't want to have a large planning team, that's fine. I think at some point as we start to define the program or requirements, we're going to need those experts at a facility, whether it's a logistics manager, whether it's somebody in the labs, one of the lead scientists, we're going to have to engage them at some point. And so I think we get to have that conversation eventually, but it would be nice for them to be engaged up front so they understand what the entire process of the planning, master planning, design, construction, programming. I'm working with a client where we're doing change management because they're mm -hmm. making a significant change in their workplace that's going to have the impact on the way people work. And they said, we don't want to engage employees because the decision's been made and we don't want them thinking they have influence mm -hmm. over the design. Mm -hmm. I said, well, I want to engage the employees <laughs> and I'll be clear that it's not because it's going to be about the design, but I want to know what they're worried about mm -hmm. because then we can identify training opportunities. How do we get people ready for the new space? And that's kind of, kind of in a way what you're talking about. Yeah. It's not so much about making a decision by committee, but it's making sure that we have all the considerations we need That's to make right. the right decision moving forward. And maybe ultimately the decision body will be smaller, but you mm -hmm. need the wider input first. Is that a fair That's That's right. Comparison? Yeah. When you talk about the design of a building, you want the good ideas. Mm -hmm. You want the good ideas from the people who work in the spaces, yeah. the people who manage the spaces. And as we were talking earlier about the design, you want the good ideas from the contractor early on in the process, from constructability, yeah. from a you know, design standpoint, from a cost standpoint. See, one of my, uh, my best friend is uh, an excavator and an owner of an excavation company, and he likes to say that an architect's famous last words are, it looked good on paper, you know, so <laughs> like, <laughs> we thought we had it all figured out. We want to avoid that. Exactly. Yeah, we want to avoid that. So br bringing these teams in that yeah. may not have played uh, well in the past, yeah. uh, suddenly you, you're learning from each other and building a better product, right? What's the evolution of how we make buildings? IPD is integrated project delivery, and, and I think what is unique about what I spoke about in the article is that this is about IPD including the real estate folks and including the, the legal folks, the design folks, the construction folks, everybody at the table to be, to be working in concert to achieve a project goal. And yeah. that's you know, much more similar to an IPD approach than it is to the more traditional design bid build approach, which many projects were delivered under. Yeah. 
Yeah, so it's having everybody in the boat at the same time, rowing in the same direction. And yeah, I think the other thing that's important to, to talk about when it comes to uh, contract delivery methods is when we talk about some of the challenges and things that you've seen along the way is owners that go down the path of executing a real estate strategy and get a design builder involved and then get reasonably down the path and say, okay, I've got what I need, now I'm gonna put it out for bid. And it's like, it shows a, a, a lack of understanding oftentimes mm -hmm. of how the contract delivery methods work. And mm -hmm. there's a process of sitting down saying, hey, if you wanted to bid this to multiple contractors, that needs to be part of your strategy from the beginning, but you can't change contract delivery methods midstream. So I think understanding yeah. how those work in terms of who you're engaging and when is important. And, and that's true when we look at the projects that we would typically work on, they would typically be delivered in a design build capacity meaning that the design builders in the lead and, and the architecture firms working with them, but under them contractually, uh, or a, a design contract directly with the owner and the construction manager, where the construction manager is working for the owner and the designer is working for the owner, and they work collaboratively to deliver the project. Yeah, so, so to build the better understanding of design bid build versus design build, is there an advantage to the design bid build? I don't see any <laughs> advantage. <laughs> I'm like, is that a bias or is it just no, a, I just don't a see lifetime an, of experience? No, I, I just don't see an advantage to it. And, and that's not the direction that, that the market is moving. If anything, the trend that we see amongst the clients that we do business with, and Michael, I, perhaps you see the same thing, is a movement actually toward things like progressive design build and IPD. I mean, some of the owners that we work with, just because of governance, purchasing is required to do design, bid, build, and they get three proposals, compare them for design and construction. Because that's the way uh, they've always done it. That's the way they've always done yeah. it. But I will say there are clients we're working with that we've introduced them to other delivery methods and share with them the benefits of it, and they're doing some pi smaller pilot projects because of it because of some of the benefits that we've shared with them and, and that they're realizing now. You know, obviously the early input on budgeting is, is tremendous. The constructability input that you get, being able to do phased packages and start some of the site development work early. Yeah. Uh, so they're starting to see that. And a real example, we were doing, we're doing a big renovation of a manufacturing facility right now. We're gutting a lot of the building interior. There's lots of new openings. A part of the design is temporary shoring and the bracing approach that we're adopting. And so we did it, it's design, bid, build. So now that we're in construction, we've got somebody like a messer on site that are saying, hey, what if we did it this way? It might be easier. You know, the temporary shoring isn't much. We could go faster. Those would have been great ideas and input to have during design. So guess what we're having to do? We're having to redesign some of the temporary shoring, some of the ways that we're, some of the final design details are having to be modified, and guess what? It's costing the owner. So does design, bid, build have an impact on when you're able to bring those experts into the process to get that information? Is that what I'm understanding, or is it just because yeah. they came in later? Because that's the way that's set up. That's the way it's set up. You yeah. didn't have the benefit of. That's exactly right. Uh, yeah. Whereas in design build, you know, the the design team, the contractor are starting at the same time. We get all that input together. It's it's just a collaborative approach. That's what we found. So I'm on the workplace strategy team, mm -hmm. and the problem that we'd had previously was the baton pass between the strategy team and the design team. And we were talking about creating position that was integrated design delivery, 
but instead it's like let's just bring a designer with us to the meeting in the first place mm -hmm. you know and you're like oh but that's an extra person and an extra plane ticket <laughs> and hotel room it's like yeah but they heard it in person mm -hmm. and they're off and running mm -hmm. and there is no awkward fumbling baton pass where i have to yeah. create this package of explanation that i hand to them and go away and then they just mm -hmm. design their best interpretation of something they never heard in the first place i think there's a lot of benefits to executing a project in that delivery method or an ipd delivery method i mean you think about you know as we're designing hopefully the owners told us what their what their budget is or capital affordable limit is and we're trying to design to that you know as we go through the planning process the schematic design design development phases uh, if we have somebody like a master construction on board they can do that professional budgeting early on to see if we are on track to deliver against the the owner's budget and if not make some make some course corrections earlier contrast that with say a design bid build approach where we're designing on our own we don't necessarily have the benefit of having a contractor on board that can help that can help us do the professional budgeting and then we find out when it goes out onto the street that the cost the bids they get back are higher than uh, than their budget and then all of a sudden we're into a value engineering exercise which is increasing the schedule then it probably has to be rebid i think you know some other some other advantages of doing design build or integrated project delivery are all those things like what is material availability mm -hmm. constructability subcontractor availability yeah. all those type of things you know they're able to bring that to the table early on and we can start to think about what we're specifying in a design package i, I think the another key point to what michael was saying is that you can put together a, a schedule strategy and put out some early packages oh yeah which accelerates that's the a schedule. great point yeah i didn't mention that yeah so what's a know, schedule strategy well when we talk about cost of schedule you're you're wanting to get from point a to point b very quickly in terms of time and so we can put together early packages that actually have construction beginning before the design of the building is complete. Yeah. So if you get the early foundation, site and foundation packages going early while the, the design is being completed, you're starting construction earlier, so it's more of a just-in-time design. Yeah, that's uh, right. Yeah. And it saves time and, and money, but that's not mm -hmm. a strategy that you can put in play in a more traditional design bid-build. You certainly can do it in construction management at risk or in, in a design-build partnership. Yeah, we've done that a couple times with Tom and Messer on some these fast track projects where we might have three or four permit packages that have to go out and it's so that they can they can start with some of the long lead equipment purchasing but also so they can start to do some of the site development work underground utilities early so we'll focus on getting that design first you know issue for construction permitted and then on to some of the other packages like the superstructure the interiors uh, mechanical yeah, was that, what could you build ahead of time but uh, yeah now i'm yeah. seeing so like soil remediation or things like that that you could do yeah, absolutely. Prior to the oh, yeah. knowing even what the box is going to look like. That's right. I yeah. keep calling it a box. Yeah, there are <laughs> other schedule strategies that you can employ depending on what type of project that you have. You know, in the industrial realm, there are, there are certain things that we can do. But with healthcare and higher education, you, you can do prefabricated pods as part of your strategy. Mm -hmm. but that's something you would need to employ early in the process. Yeah. It would need to be done as a strategy early on, planned for and designed into the project. But, you know, off-site prefabrication can speed up the schedule significantly. Significantly, uh, 
yeah. uh, on a project. Flow scheduling is a whole nother area of scheduling that can significantly speed up a project and use less labor force to deliver the project. So in, in flow scheduling, you essentially uh, break down a, an area into small work areas and you bring in crews sort of in a just-in-time uh, basis. So a crew would come in, uh, say in a normal scenario, and demo an entire floor, and then come in and frame an entire floor, and then come in electrical and plumbing for the entire floor, one after another. In flow scheduling, you bring in somebody to demo, and when he or she's done with the first work area, you would then bring in the framers behind them. And as they move to the next work area to demo, they're framing. And as they finish that area, the framers move to the next work cell, and the electrical and plumbing folks come in. And so as you move through that floor, by the time they get to demoing the last areas, the first areas of the building can be completely finished. It sounds like singing in a round, like where you're doing row, row, row your boat, and then the next person starts. Yeah. But it's just keeping everything moving in a flow scale. Yeah. Yes, and there are some unique advantages to it, right? So the owner gets to see what the space looks like earlier. So you, so you can make adjustments too? You can make adjustments. Uh -huh. As you get through like, the process and say, that's not really what I really thought it was going to be like. I, don't, I think we need more space here, or I don't think that works. You can make adjustments much earlier in the process. Quality control is much better because as you finish the spaces, you can see where the issues are and watch for them as you complete the rest of the spaces within the building. It takes less labor to perform because the crews are smaller. So those are the kind of strategies that you can employ on a project yeah. from a schedule standpoint if you have the right players at the table early in the process. Who would benefit from hearing this, knowing about you know, bringing the right t people to the table? Who are the people who have to make that decision? It can, it can vary, depending on the size of the company and how it's organized. Oftentimes, it's going to be the chief operating officer, vice president of real estate and construction, head of facilities. Depending on who's administering the project, the message is, is similar. I think sometimes, at least from my experience, you have a tendency to focus on what's in front of you, right? Yeah. So if you're a, a facilities person, you have a tendency to focus on the actual design of the facility, mm -hmm. right? And, and what's going on in each particular area of the facility, whereas if you're the, the CFO, you're looking at the things like cost of schedule, how quickly can we get this done, we can start turning production out. There, are, it, it, The message can be different depending on, on what the perspective is. The larger the company, the more likely we're working with a vice president of, of real estate and construction or mm -hmm. Uh, chief operating officer. Yeah. yeah sometimes we encounter uh, in a company sales and marketing have done a really great job. They've sold product uh, that has to be you know in the market in 24, 36 months. And so who's tasked with making sure that they can produce that? The product supply director or vice president. Yep. So you know that's somebody that we typically would engage with. That might be the first phone call. Now then the team broadens from there. You know it might be uh, it might be the corporate real estate folks. It might be uh, the corporate facilities engineering group. But I would say somebody in product supply who that's their role responsibility to make sure that uh, the business is shipping them. If you're dealing with somebody that's maybe not that big, but is suddenly experiencing a rapid growth and expansion and they need to amp up quickly, and maybe they don't have that expertise or experience, you know, what's their first phone call? Like, what's step one? Who do you call and what do you say? 
You call us. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> Other than it being an advertising thing, but uh -huh. you know, like, who would you reach out to? What if you were a small business and suddenly you were seeing exponential growth? Mm -hmm. um, even with, we had it with a client that they were in a building for a while and suddenly they grew so quick, they outgrew the building, they needed to start looking at a campus environment. Mm -hmm. you know. And they're like, okay, we're going to buy this campus, but we're only going to fill one building. And then we started talking to them and realized they've already filled that building before they even move. So they had the uh, first right of refusal for the two other buildings on campus. Like, you need to start that conversation now because they just had never had to move before. They'd always mm -hmm. been in the same place. Like, yeah, I think the experts in terms of design and, and understanding the business need that's driving it, the designers, to sit at the table and say, let's create this high-level program of requirements and then talk to both real estate and your internal accounting and, and financial folks to say, we understand what we need, now what is it going to cost us to either acquire the property, mm -hmm. what is it gonna cost us to acquire a, a dirt or acquire a building or to build a building at a high level, yeah. okay, then the folks at the table can start to say, can we make those things work at a high level? And I think you have to kind of hem them in from there because the options sometimes become limited depending on what the capital needs of the project are, the timing of the project, what have you. Right. When you start talking about the business need, if the business need becomes immediate, you may have to move into an existing building and make some design compromises to address it in such a short period of time. If you have longer term to, to deal with it, that can mean consolidating multiple sites into a more efficient site, what have you. So there's a lot that needs to be put at the table, but my answer would always be, you gotta understand the business need first. I mean, you, you kind of ask the question, who should they call? And I'll just say, you know, where do we see the calls being made? Owners are contacting design builders, mm -hmm. construction managers like a Messer. Mm -hmm. uh, they're also calling architectural firms. And, you know, if it's outside of the region where they have a presence, they might be reaching out. Maybe the first phone call is to a regional economic development organization. Oh. So we'd like them to call us first, you know, as an architect or design builder. We think we offer some very unique perspectives on how to execute projects. Uh, we've talked about, you know, following a logical process, and that could be multiple things. The process depends on what the delivery is, but it starts with understanding business needs, right? So the first step in a logical process, what is the business need, right? That's and then... Right. Don't pass go unless you have that. And not just understand it, but that you have alignment in, to it. Yeah. That everybody understands it and says, yes, that's, that's yeah. the way we're going. Yeah, definitely, you know, at the leadership level, define the business need, capacity plan, and have alignment to it before going to any of the other steps. And that's, yeah, do not pass go. Yeah. I like that. I, yeah. I understand that. Mm -hmm. um, next is form the right team, and we've talked about that, but the last mm -hmm. one is finish strong and finalize your site selection decision. So how do you finish strong? Let's finish this strong. Once you know what you, what you think you want to do, get the experts hyper-focused, make a decision, and then go. Very to good. me, finishing strong just means staying committed to the plan. You define a plan, the goals, the vision up front, stay committed to it throughout. Thank you for joining Trends and Tensions, presented by BHDP. We'll conclude part one of our discussion with Tom Balonic of Messer Construction and Michael Verdeer of BHDP on bringing experts to the table to assist with site selection of a future project. We hope you'll join us again for the next episode when we'll talk about specifics of land criteria, budget, and scheduling. If you appreciate what you've heard, please rate, subscribe, and give us a review. I'm Brian Trainer. I hope you have a constructive day.